This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Saints podcast. Yes, we're returning after another international break full of energy and optimism about the final part of this season and a few nerves still shaken after today. With the Clarets game out of the way, Saints now have eight remaining Premier League fixtures to play as well as an FA Cup semi-final just around the corner. And one way or another, given the unpredictable TV scheduling that awaits all of us, we'll be with you every step of the way as 2020-21 comes to a close. Joining me as they regularly do are the voices and opinions of Steve, Glenn and Dan, the brains behind my, well, I'd not even call it brawn, to be honest. Anyway, evening, chaps. Evening. 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 Glenn, a good, relaxed, stress-free international break or not? Um, Yeah, it was kind of the same as um, as every other break has been <laughs> for the last, last year months. or so. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But uh, no, I did um, I did actually watch the internationals because obviously there was a bit of, a bit of well, the England games because there was a bit of an interest with, uh, with Ward Prowse being in there. So yeah, enjoyed the San Marino game. The, uh, was it Albania? Oh, I've forgotten who we played against. Was it Albania? Yeah, Poland, Albania yeah. was was kind of painful, but we got there in the end. And um, Poland, I didn't actually see because uh, grassroots football training has started again. So I was doing that on Wednesday. So that was a that was it was nice and uh, nice and pleasant to uh, actually get out on a football pitch rather than uh, sitting and watching one on the TV. So uh, so that was uh, that was probably the the highlight of uh, of my uh, international break, so to speak. I imagine you were leading by example by um, by running running around the pitch with the kids. Do you know what I had to be in I had to be in goal for the for the whole thing, and even that is tough these days. I woke up <laughs> woke up the following day and my back was hurting, and I thought, do you know what, I'm too old for this, <laughs> too old, too heavy. 
Um, but my, my seven-year-old went back a couple of weeks back as well on a Monday night, and uh, there's obviously a couple of dads that uh, we like coming along and uh, having a chat and catching up about the world. And uh, I have to be honest, Glenn, yeah, I was stood there Monday night. The wind was literally howling behind me. I mean, my, my jacket didn't stand still all night. And I was sort of thinking about, oh, you know, it's great to see him out running around and having fun, but here's me stood here in the uh, freezing Scottish spring. And, uh, yeah, the magic's back almost, yeah. Well, I think I think I should clarify that, you know, my lot, they're not kids. It's under 18s. So when you're in goal and they hit the ball at you, they, they hit it. You know, it it's not. Hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it tests it tests the reflexes that you yeah. no longer have. No breaking fingers, eh? No, nothing yet. I don't even get my hands in the way. The ball just hits me. <laughs> or it doesn't. That's it. Yeah, there we go. There we go. And Steve, you've been keeping busy. I mean, obviously, yeah, we caught up about the international break beforehand, and we're about England. And obviously, there was no Robert Lewandowski, so that was a positive. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite handy because I suspect that if he played, we might have uh, we might have been on the end of a end of a beating there. But no, it was it was quite interesting. I thought that I mean, San Marino game kind of went as as everyone expected. Albania was was fine. I actually thought I mean the Poland game. I actually thought first half we were excellent. And if anything, we should have been three or four up and then kind of the second half tail off as as is kind of often the case um, wouldn't have been wouldn't have been relevant. But yeah, silly, silly mistake gives them a, an opportunity back into it. But we um, I mean, fair, fair play. I, I, I mean, I've said many times on here, I'm not Harry Maguire's biggest fan by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, right place, right time. Yeah, goal, decent it? finish. Yeah, it was. Finish. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dan, obviously, you had a week's holiday, didn't you? The first half of the international break. So obviously, we missed your uh, journalistic skills. And then back to action this week with various bits and pieces. And uh, I saw your mailbag. And then obviously, you're at the presser on Friday with Ralph. And then we'll get onto the game in a minute, which was a nice, quiet one for uh, a neutral like you, Dan. Yeah, well, yeah. Week off. I, I wouldn't go as far as say journalistic skills, but had still had some stuff going up that week because I ran it in advance. And then yeah, back back at the start of this week, was straight into it and. Yeah, a brilliant game to be fair as a as a neutral to to sit there. I mean, you're never that excited when you're going to go and watch Burnley, Southampton and Burnley, especially at St Mary's. But it, it took me by surprise, as I'm sure it did many others. Yeah, I went on a uh, Burnley podcast during the week, and I think I uh, actually played it safe and predicted one all. But my uh, quote that obviously in true Stanfield star said I didn't think there'd be many goals. So yeah, there you go. That just sums up uh, that. But yeah, just just to finish on the international breakdown, um, I suppose when you consider the likes of. Prousey, as uh, Glenn mentioned, and Shea Adams and Alex Jankovic and Jan Bednarek and Japan 14, Mongolia nil, Takuni Minamino and, you know, a fairly successful time of it for all of our players who are away on international duty. Definitely so. Loads of positive results and more importantly for Alf, they all came back fit. I think Prousey was obviously had that calf issue, but the expectation was that he was always going to be OK to play anyway this weekend. It was just a case of better be safe than sorry. So he was the only kind of question mark. But even then, I don't really think it was a question mark. So, yeah, I'm sure Ralph was absolutely thrilled that Shane McAdams, as he now calls him, <laughs> managed to get a goal for Scotland. And, yeah, everyone came back fit, which is the main thing. Yeah. Well, one thing TSP did have during the international break was our latest TSP patron event, whereas ever it was good to see those who could uh, make it along and chat about a variety of Saints-related topics, both serious and light-hearted. I think the key takeaway for all of us was probably that... Uh, Mark's partner, Sarah, would very much like to be stuck on a desert island with Oreo Romeo one day. So we'll have to wait and see if that happens. But good luck, Sarah. And I suppose in a totally different kind of way, good luck to Oreo as well. Anyway, moving on to this episode of TSP, it's our standard pod tactics, really. We'll first review that pulsating 3-2 win over Burnley earlier today, chatting through all the key moments and decisions and the players that caught the guy's eye. We'll then finish with a, a preview of the trip to West Brom next week, who in true Saints style will be facing, uh, of course, having just thumped a top four side 5-2. So thanks a lot for that, Chelsea. Underpinned by our global patrons, this is TSP 156. 
This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour, and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints returned to Premier League action earlier today with a visit to some areas of the always physical Burnley. The game eventually finishing in a topsy-turvy 3-2 win for Saints, taking us one step closer to safety. Our first home league win in three months to the day and our first ever Premier League double over Burnley. Dan, we'll get on to some of the key talking points in a moment. But as we were kind of just mentioning in the uh, intro there, for a neutral like yourself, a, a sort of quiet um, return to Premier League action. It was very uneventful. Yeah, I, did anything even happen? I, I kind of, I'm still trying to work out what to write, to be honest. It was, yeah, it was just a, a crazy game, really, wasn't it? It was, you're watching Saints for the first half an hour and you're thinking, am I watching a replay of the Brighton game? They were just bullied by Burnley, weren't winning the second balls. And Burnley fully deserved their lead. They were tuning up and Vidra sort of struck again, didn't he? He seems to have a habit of scoring good goals at St. Mary's and they you just saw it and you think when they go 2 and when you go 1-0 down against Burnley you're thinking right we've got a challenge to even kind of draw the game now because mm. they're just going to sit back and time waste camp in, yeah time waste <laughs> camp in their box and so on and then when they go 2-0 down you really are thinking blimey that this is bad again like this is just not good the players aren't playing well and your mind automatically just thinks well how are they going to how do you recover from losing to Burnley at home is what I was starting to think. I mean, if I'm a player, what am I now thinking? How do I get any kind of confidence going forward? And how much more intimidating is that West Brom fixture next week after we've just been beaten by Burnley? But as we're going to get on to, you know, full credit, the way they turned it round was super impressive. I think going in at the... I think had that first half gone on an extra five or ten minutes, I think Saints would have been 3-2 up or 4-2 up by the break, to be, to be honest. And then they, they got the goal in the second half and... Yeah, they, they had to ride their luck a little bit at the end, but I think Fraser Forster was, you know, made some really, really important saves towards the end. And of course, I know that the misses are going to be mentioned at the other end of the pitch, but I think credit does should go to Fraser for, I know it's his job to, to stop balls going in the goal, but he did he did make some fine saves. It was a big uh, point blank save from Chris Webb, wasn't it? Absolutely. And uh, Steve, I think most of us who've uh, followed Saints for quite a long time, and I'm sure like the the guys and girls out there listening will uh, feel you know well weathered from roller coaster games like that. I think is a, a fair way of saying it. Another one to file in the you know we all had long hair when we started supporting Saints or the I've no fingernails left type category, but hard work. But in the end, job done, and you, you can't complain. A fantastic win. Uh, yeah, I mean the ultimately the. The aim was to get the three points, and we've got it. But it was, it was just a baffling game from on on so many levels, wasn't it? I mean, how how we set ourselves up at the start—we were so passive to begin with. And I mean, as Dan said, they they kind of bullied us. Which I mean, it's Burnley. What 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 are we expecting? That's kind of the way that's the way they play, and and that should have come as absolutely no surprise. I mean. I guess it comes. It's one of those things where he set his standards so high since he since he um, joined the club that Carl Walker Peters having a kind of five and a half, six out of ten game is noteworthy. That he was noticeably bad uh, by his standards, and um, I mean clumsy to give away the penalty. Although it, I mean the VAR on that not allowing Andre Mariner to look at the fairly obvious foul by Peters on Walker Peters initially before the before the the I mean I don't think anybody could question the the penalty decision itself but yeah I mean should it have even got to that point um is there I don't I don't actually know if the protocol allows for for that sort of recourse to say well there was something in the build-up so therefore this decision can't be can't be given I, I, 
not Can't quite either, clear. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's not entirely clear that I don't think. But I mean, we having then give, having given away that penalty, we then decided that we were going to get just done by the most basic of um, <laughs> kind of. It, it, it was just peak Burnley ball, wasn't it? I think um, it's called a hoof in, was the, a, was in a, the industry, Steve. Yeah, a hoof. Well, yeah, I mean, there was there was there was a hoof there was a hoof direct from a throw-in um, that Bednarak uh, Bednarak headed up in the air and away, and then I, I mean I'm not even sure the ball bounced again when it fell for Ben Mee to launch it into into orbit again. Bednarak just gets out battled. He's it just it's just he's just not strong enough against um, yeah. against Chris Wood in that position. And Walker Peters again is ten yards away from where he needs to be, and Vidra's got a got a clean run on goal. I mean I wonder whether Forster might do better. The shots. Kind of straight at straight at him. I mean, from a from a non-goalkeeper's perspective, um, sort of trying to analyse what a goalkeeper's doing. His his foot, his right foot appeared to be still. His studs appeared to still be in the ground when the shot was taken. So he had no. Vidra took so, it really early, didn't he? Yeah. He, he, so he, he, so he, so he yeah. wasn't he wasn't set. He couldn't get his leg out there to to stop the ball. And it's a very sort of David de Gea type effort to try and save those shots with your feet rather than rather than get your body behind it. Which is, I mean, keepers have different methods for for saving those sort of shots, which is fine. But yeah, Forster, Forster's foot wasn't anywhere near it, and all of a sudden you find yourself two 0 down, and you kind of think, oh god, this. I mean, this. This could be a hiding because Burnley were actually playing playing some quite nice football as well, uh, as well as the occasional hoofs. Even though that was all they needed to do to um, to kind of put us under pressure, and it was it was odd that they stopped doing it. We got ourselves a foothold in the game, and as soon as, as soon as we got one back, all of a sudden their defence, which is kind of their bread and butter really for Burnley, just suddenly looked looked really vulnerable. And we, I mean, as as you as you rightly said just now, when we. If there'd been more than the four minutes ad- added on at the end of the first half, we'd probably go in at half-time winning. Um, such was the, the pressure that we were putting on their goal, and yeah, it was it was it was good to see that we that we didn't kind of ease off once we got back to two-two. It would have been would have been quite easy a couple of minutes before half-time to say right, okay, now let's just stick with what we got until half-time, and then we can regroup because that's the sort of thing where that dents your momentum. And all of a sudden, we come, come out start the second half, we've still got the momentum. And yeah, we were, we were the we were the better side to be honest, pretty much throughout that second half until we until we sat off in the last what 15 minutes or so. But again, we could we could have scored five or six uh, today, and you could make a strong claim that Nick Pope was man of the match despite conceding three goals. Yeah, 24 shots Saints had, uh, nine of those on target. But yeah, it does uh, seem funny, doesn't it? The season's gone. That arguably Eric Peters going off was the uh, not. I'm not saying the game changer because uh, Saints were well on top. But yeah, it, uh, certainly they were having a, a bit more enjoyment down the right hand side. But I, I, you know, obviously we want to keep it positive. Then uh, we'll get on to you know the, the probably the last hour in a minute. But just that first 30 minutes, just from your point of view, and kind of adding on from what Steve said there. I mean, you know, there were plenty of positives in the end, but. I suppose you know that Burnley are going to come out. I mean, everything we've spoken about, you know, Ralph and the guys, the coaching staff will be much more aware of this than us. Two things that you know Burnley are going to do is be physical and play direct. And it, I'm not sure if it was just a bit of a, a lag as there sometimes is after the international break, but it just didn't feel like we were ready for either of those things. And the second point I just wanted to make was about Jan Bednarek, because again, you know, he's been really consistent this season. I thought he did pretty well at Wembley the other night, but it was evident, you know, unsurprisingly, that Chris Wood was pulling on him rather than uh, Yannick Vestergaard. And of course, was uh, being you know, winning a lot of stuff in the air that first half an hour as well. Well, on um, on the Bednarek thing, it 
yeah, I mean, Wood obviously decided to play down that channel. Um, I don't know, and I'd like an answer to this if anyone could ask it at a press conference. That would be that would be cool. Why Vestergaard just doesn't go and mark him, even if he goes over to the right hand side. Just you know, swap the central defenders over, or just just follow him because Burnley is so limited. I mean, Bednarek plays on the left for Poland, so it's not as if he has a problem playing that channel as well. It just but then would just, seemed, just swap over, wouldn't he? I mean, they'd just be playing hanky Yeah, there. maybe so, but yeah. you just you just follow him, just follow him, and the, the central defenders keep swapping. I, I don't know. It just seemed it just seemed like such, a, such an obvious and easy way forward for Burnley. Um, and yeah, it's a bit mystifying as why they stopped doing it. But yeah, so I mean, Bednarek struggled against Wood, and as Steve said, Walker Peters struggled that side as well so that was a very definite weak point for us but I was a bit worried when going right back to the start when you saw our lineup and if you take the front six players in our team they're all small you know Romeo's injured Adams wasn't on the pitch so you've got six very slight players in midfield and attack no one's really particularly you know physically strong you've got Walker Peters who's small Bertrand, who's not the biggest either. So we've really only got two outfield players who can compete. And Wood was battering Bednarek around all over the place. So it was it was difficult. And I think, especially in the centre of midfield, Diallo and um, Ward-Prowse seemed to struggle to get to grips in the first half an hour. Because we were making Burnley look like Man City at times. They were passing their way through midfield. And it's just like come on, we can't let them do this. And I think Diallo and, and uh, Warprouse definitely stepped up around the half an hour mark. And, and that was when we started getting control. And, and when we did that, we found we can actually pass our way through Burnley relatively easy, easily. And that's how we, uh, you know, we got the two goals um, before halftime, both really good goals and uh, got us back into it. But yeah, the, the first the first half an hour, I mean, Burnley have, Burnley get to where they get to and they're not going to go down this season, regardless of today's results, because they they find a way to win games. They find a way to draw games in enough in a big enough quantity to 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 stay up. It's never pretty, but they get the job done. And and that's you know, that's what we did today. It wasn't a perfect performance, but we got the job done. Three points, happy days. But, we, you know, you've got to match, you know, their, their football is pretty basic, but you've got to match that. You've got to do that. It's the old cliche, earn your right to play your football. So you've got to win your headers. You've got to win your tackles. You've got to run as much as they do. And for the first half an hour, we just didn't do that. Yeah. And just before I ask Dan about uh, the sort of couple of goals, Glenn, just to get your view on the penalty um, so that we're getting a couple of bias views here rather than just <laughs> one bias view. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I, you know, watching it, I thought, well, maybe Carl Walker-Peters could have been a bit stronger when Peters was sort of manhandling or made it look more like a foul. But I don't think there was necessarily any arguments about the penalty. But I suppose it is that frustration, as Steve mentioned, really, isn't it, that Mariner, you know, and the other thing that always annoys me about Andrew Mariner, Andre Mariner, sorry, is that he only runs up and down the middle part of the pitch. He never really goes to the wings, so he never really sees all the incidents. But uh, I suppose it was hard by the time, you know, you saw the replay that he saw that he wasn't going to give a penalty. Absolutely. I don't blame him at all for giving a penalty. But if they run the video back two seconds earlier, then they might have, you know, they'd have seen Peters shoving Walker Peters out of the way. Certainly enough to put a question mark, because remember, it wasn't given. You know, the penalty wasn't given originally. So he would have seen the, the shove by by Peters on Walker Peters and said, OK, there's an element of doubt there that maybe should have been a Saints free kick. So we're just going to carry on. But again, we had the Ben Mee one as well, which they glossed over very, very quickly. But his arm wasn't in a natural position. 
You know, I know it's a shot. Um, we had that one given against Ryan Bertrand against Wolves, didn't we? But well, me, me, me has form for it in that penalty area. Yes, Samaritz. From was that last season or the year before? Yeah, there was, that bla- right. there was that blatant one where his arm was literally stretched out as far as he possibly could, and he got away with it right under the linesman's nose. To yeah. play devil's advocate here, what yeah, your thoughts on, on Chris, Chris yeah. Wood being yeah, yeah. pulled? Like yeah. his shirt was clearly being tugged on that. So I guess you. I mean, I think you see those week in, week out, don't you, Dan? But I think ultimately, if that had been reviewed by Marida, I think, it, again, you know, potentially that could have gone the wrong way for Saints, couldn't it? So you win some, you lose if some, you I guess. Give, if you give a penalty for every one of those, every every little shirt pull, yeah, I agree with you. But if you give a penalty for a, for every one of those, you, every game ends up 7-6, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the um, fact is he should have scored. But, really, it, but it wouldn't, because defenders would start to learn to defend differently if they knew they were going to give away a penalty every time. Mm. I remember, yeah, one, I, remember uh, I think it was Madly giving one against, was it Jose Fonte up at the Emirates a few years back? Oh, when he, that was from a yeah, corner. Was a I mean, literally, the, the, nothing, the same incident, yeah, something, the same incident that happens week in, week out. And you thought, well, if he's you know going to start giving those, then they're you know, typical. Saints uh, conceding the penalty but uh, there we go um, yeah Dan I, I suppose moving on then as a, a few of us <coughs> considered turning off and uh, reverting to Easter Sunday with the family mode after half an hour Saints then fought back to, to level before half time uh, thankfully Stuart Armstrong's goal uh, kept me engaged and uh, I managed to watch the rest of the game uh, no names mentioned but yeah two two brilliant goals in two different ways starting with the Stuart Armstrong one lovely little touch from Danny Ings and then the second one obviously uh, the aforementioned Ben Mee makes a state but uh, cool calm and collective from Danny Ings it was a. To, to be fair, I'm going to say my, even the penalty was a good penalty, but all four goals in open play were quality. I thought today. I thought each goal, Vidra's goal was was very good. Armstrong's finish was very nice. Ings's solo effort was yeah, as as you mentioned, to to nick the ball off off me, and then the way he just sat Tarkovsky down in the area before calmly putting the ball through Pope's legs was just that added bit of class that Ings brings to Southampton's front line. It he was it's. Yeah, only he and the Southampton team, I think, could could score that kind of goal. It's very um, similar to the one he got against Spurs last season. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a yeah, really really classy finish, and I thought Redmond took his his strike really well in the second half. You know, it was a, a good little spot by Walcott, but you'd in recent weeks you'd probably have thought Redmond would have missed that. But after the Bournemouth game, we spoke whether the breaks come at a wrong time for him. I, I, on today's showing, I don't think it has. I thought he was pretty good today. Yep, he had a very good second half. Yep. Yeah. So. The, all the, I, was, I was impressed by all the goals today. Even the penalty was pretty good. Um, mm. Just smash it down the middle, <laughs> as you'd expect a Burnley penalty to go. Just hit it hard. <laughs> I imagine it's a man with simple pleasures. Just yeah, smash the penalty. Yeah. Yeah. Class, class, yeah. absolute class. Um, no, it was just a, a really, really entertaining game full of full of quality goals for all different reasons. But yeah, Ings's was probably the pick of the bunch. He, he created it himself and then scored it. So. Yeah, great, great, great goal. Indeed. And just mentioning sort of Ings and Walcott there, and I think you mentioned after the, the match in one of your tweets, but, you know, so good and a, a pivotal time, really, for Ralph to have, you know, a few options back now, particularly those two. Yeah, it's like, it's, you could probably liken it to having two new signings. I know they're, they're obviously not new signings, but it's, you've got them back for kind of what, nine, nine league games, hopefully, well, 11, hopefully 11 games, and you just want them to hit the ground running. And that's what they did today. You could just see just in attack with Armstrong again, superb. You know, how I don't even think he's underrated anymore. I think he is just you know, so widely appreciated yeah, by everyone brilliant. now. How much he brings to the set. They just looked fluid, didn't they? They just, yeah. Especially they, they just looked good. They you you would bank on them creating something, which in in recent weeks, in recent months, they've been stale. That's the only way I can describe them is they've been bloody stale over the the, the really bad run. 
So with just having them back just adds that fluidity, the creativity and Nathan Redmond, I mean he as we've just mentioned I've just mentioned him, but you know, he is clearly a striker now, he's clearly viewed as a striker. Ralph obviously thinks that's his best role. And then having Walcott, who I actually thought had a pretty Theo Walcott game today, if if that makes sense. Like he he do one thing brilliant and then when you expect him to kind of do that the next brilliant thing, he makes the he's done he makes the same mistake that he's made throughout his entire career. Like when he's running through and he's got Armstrong and Redmond either side of him, he, he does cut back. the fourth choice, which is the worst choice, and cuts back and loses the ball. When a simple pass either way would have been absolutely fine. But yeah, just so much positivity having those guys back, those guys back, because more importantly for me, you looked at the bench and look at that bench and you can say it now, Adams is a, an international. You had four internationals on the bench that Ralph could have turned to, which is a big difference from him turning to someone like Will Ferry, with all, with all due respect, to come on and try and win you a game. He could turn to Adams, Genepo, Teller, Salasu, uh, Minamino, um, yeah, which makes a huge difference, massive difference, I think. Yeah. I think Stuart Armstrong's football's almost caught up with his hair now in terms of brilliance, hasn't it? But uh, yeah, it was the first time that we'd come back from two goals down to win since that match versus Liverpool under Ronald Koeman in March 2016. I think Ralph even went halfway along the touchline as well today, a bit like Koeman did. But I suppose that was the concern for many of us, Steve, wasn't it? As we've seen a, a little too often in 2021, that half-time would maybe suck the momentum out of Saints a little bit and they'd go on to, to throw it away, having worked so hard. And I think that was, you know, ultimately the, the positive through all of this was that they got that winner that Dan's just mentioned about there and you know brilliant assist from uh, Walcott fantastic first time finish for from Redmond and as, as we mentioned I mean Pope and I think Glenn said earlier I mean Pope had made two or three great saves by then Wal, um, Walprouse had hit the underside of the crossbar you couldn't say it wasn't coming oh we, yeah I mean when when we took the lead it was long overdue in terms of the dominance we'd we'd exerted for basically what a, a good 15-20 minute period at the start of the second half and following on from the from the closing 15 um, in the first half, it was yeah. I mean, it was just the dictionary definition of one-way traffic. But I mean, as as is always the case at, at this level of the game, you've got to take your chances when you when you're on top, because otherwise you run you run the risk of um, of getting punished. And yeah, I mean, we we took we took one of the chances that that we that we created. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of little bit of bad bad luck from uh, Prowse's one, which which actually took a deflection, which took it up onto the bar. Otherwise, possibly going in, uh, Pope's made two absolutely ridiculous saves. The save he made from Armstrong was ridiculous. Yeah, well, that was because that, that. That, that was deflected as well. That, yeah. I, think that was go- I think that was going wide, and then suddenly he's, um, there's there's a little nick off the defender, and it's going going in just inside the just inside the corner, and just the the strength of his wrist to palm that round round the post was extraordinary. I mean, arguably like Glenda Lacour at Riverside Park. Very similar. <laughs> Yes, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's ultimately it was it was good to see us creating chances against a team known for being particularly miserly at the back. I mean, I think Burnley probably contributed significantly to their own downfall. But let's look at it from our perspective that we looked we looked as if we had a bit of energy and verve about us again. Now, I mean, whether I mean that part of that is going to be players being back available again, having been away for a while. Um, I mean, Walcott just looked just gave us so much more enthusiasm even though as as dan said it was a it was kind of a, a proper sort of microcosm theo walcott game with some of his decision making but just the just the the pace and energy that he brings in that position is is so important 
um, especially against a side like Burnley, who are relatively one-paced, but are very strong and solid and kind of know how to defend against most most different forms of attack. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what was it? 23, 24 shots in the end. That's right, 24, uh, nine, yeah. Nine, nine on target, which, I mean, that, that's... I mean, if you're if you're creating that many that many chances in a game at this level, then you're not gonna you're not gonna lose many games. Um, so if we if we can get back to that on a on a regular basis, then yeah, I mean that that I mean that top half is is it's gonna be difficult now because we've given ourselves so so much to do, but it's not. It's not completely out of the question. Mm. And that last, last sort of 10 minutes then, Glenn, in true St. Star was a, a little nervy, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, you know, as we mentioned, a big save in Forster to keep out Woods. Um, you know, and they, they did defend fairly well. I mean, Forster was coming out and making a few punches. There was lots of clearances and bodies on the line. I remember Bertrand jumping for a header with Chris Wood where he sort of ended up on the floor and got a free kick and things like that. And, you know, ultimately, they got across the line. I was quite pleased to see three minutes of injury time go up, bearing in mind there was five subs, I think, and Jan Bednarek was certainly down at one point. So we did quite well to just get the three minutes. But, you know, in Instantly, the Premier League table looks a, a bit better, and with the results for Newcastle and Fulham today, obviously Saints are edging closer to safety. But I just wanted to briefly touch, and I, I suppose it's not being critical, because ultimately Ralph Hasenhutl won the game here, and that's what we all wanted. But I, I was just going to ask you what you made of the Salasu sub with 10 minutes to go, because I suppose I was watching it thinking, oh God, we've gone back to Maurizio Pellegrino here, chuck on loads of defenders and try and hold on. But, you know, obviously, <laughs> you, you know, he mentioned they've been working on things the last couple of weeks. I'm sure they've been working on, you know, five at the back and things like that. But I, I suppose that invited a little bit of, you know, pressure from Burnley as well. You know, you see an extra defender come on and you lose, you know, Danny Ings up front and uh, Stuart Armstrong goes off and things like that. And then suddenly you're sort of defending the edge of your box for a bit. Uh, I don't think bringing on the substitute was the problem, nor switching to a, a back three, back five, call it what you will. I think the problem was is that we seemed to go 10 yards back towards our own goal. That that was the problem. We were actually handling it reasonably well with the players we had on the pitch. Um, I, so I can understand, you know, why he did it. You know, Salisu is a big lump and, um, you know, he, he it's an additional presence in the in the box when the when the uh, when the bombs start raining in which they inevitably are going to do in the last 15 minutes so um i mean he actually he looked all over the place for the first couple of minutes and then then he he made a couple of clearances and and he looked relatively comfortable after that but i, th- I just think that the problem was is that we it, psychologically because we, you know maybe because everyone thought we bought this defender on now we're obviously just trying to see the game out we just seemed to go back towards our own goal a little bit but the bottom line is Everyone headed everything they had to head, forced a punched and, and caught a couple of things. And, you know, the, the job got done. So at the end of the day, it's a, it's a good substitution because the result went our way in the end. But if Chris Wood had stuck that header in the net in the last couple of minutes, then uh, maybe we'd be looking at it a little bit differently. It would but, be uh, for, con- for context yeah. on that change, it was, I mean, personally, I think Ralph made his changes way too late. I thought the game was screaming out for Jenna Poor Adams around the sort of 70 minute mark but that it was actually Vestergaard that said to Ralph you need to bring on another defender Vestergaard signaled to Ralph because Adams was going to be Adams was basically kind of instructed to get yourself ready lad type thing but Vestergaard signaled to Ralph said no you need to put on another defender here we're kind of under the pressure so Ralph reacted to that and brought on Salasu that's interesting which, I, I like the sound of that though that's good though I mean we've spoken haven't we about leaders and lack of them on the pitch you know and Vestergaard's an experienced international and I suppose it's good to see that chemistry almost in that Ralph's not going to go, no, no, you just get on with it, let me do it. You know, if he's willing to take on that advice, Dan, and actually make those decisions and, you know, they're kind of interacting with the two of them to get the, the win and get across the line. I like that. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it was good. It, it speaks that the, the manager 
clearly listens to his players, which I think at some clubs doesn't doesn't happen. They, it's their way or the highway. So yeah, it shows that yeah, Ralph's open to to suggestions from his team from from his players on the pitch. And as as Glenn said, that they ended up winning. So Vestergaard and Ralph were right on this one, I suppose. There must have been something that they'd spoken about before before the game, though, because it would it wouldn't just sort of like happen if it had never happened before. They, you know, they must have had a discussion before the game and said someone. Someone signal if you think we need another defender. Yeah, or, it was probably or, more along the lines of look, we need some support here. Yeah, we're, we're under the pressure. We need some support. Like help us out. I, I think was kind of the. It wasn't like a right. We need to bring on Salasu here. Put Bertrand up here. It wasn't that kind. Yeah. Of, it was kind of a help us out, Ralph. Yeah. Type. Just finally, then, Glenn, the people get what the people want. Uh, obviously, our success was uh, <laughs> Sean Dice's frustration. What do you think if he uh, made of it all post uh, game? Because I didn't really uh, catch it to be honest. So. <laughs> Oh, do I? Have Come on, to? you must have been practicing. <laughs> I'd forgotten all about it until Alistair mentioned it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we saw Sean do an interview about Lucky Likeys, didn't we? <laughs> uh, Sean was on about Lucky Likeys, and Ben May did a good Lucky Likey impression of a defender when he fell over. That was quite funny. A very bad defender. He looked like a very bad defender when he fell over. Um, not happy. Thought we should have had 15 penalties, um, and I thought Sage should have had none. But we've lost the game. Um, we'll go again. We'll smash the ball even higher and even harder next week, and we'll get a result. And we'll stay up, and you'll see us again next year. Thank <laughs> you very much. This is the Total Saints Podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Next up for Saints, albeit a whole seven days away at time of pod release, is the trip to the Hawthorns to face Big Sam and his West Brom side. Um, Dan, for a variety of reasons, an important match for Saints to try and get something from. Ideally, another win, of course. Yeah, a win would be the perfect uh, tonic going into the, the semi-final, which, let's face it, is going to dominate kind of next week, I think, regardless of the result. But if they can get a positive result, go to 39 points, and then you really, really can, as we've said before, go into that semi-final knowing you haven't got to worry about the Premier League. You, you're safe. You're not going to go down. I think 10 points is the gap at the moment. And I, I just don't think, although Saints have got a, a bloody difficult run of games coming up beyond West Brom, you're still banking on the likes of Newcastle, Fulham getting 10 points. And I, I can't see that happening. So I think they're fine. I don't think they'll go down, but a win at West Brom would certainly cement that. And, just give everyone that kind of feel-good factor going into to next Sunday, which will be, you know, it's going to be a brilliant occasion. And you know, if they can go into that three wins on the bounce, then yeah, absolutely, it's it's a game they should be going to West Brom to try and win. West Brom are going to have their tails up because of you know they managed to somehow stick five past Chelsea. It's amazing what happens when someone gets sent off very early on. But I I still think Southampton will have enough quality to beat West Brom, given what I've seen of West Brom this season it's a game they should target to win they, sh- they should be going there as favorites they will be going there as favorites and i after today's result i expect them to, to go there and get the win so yeah i'm looking forward to it i think it's interesting isn't it as uh, we get towards the end of the season now uh, yeah fulham's result at uh, villa today I, I, a true saints fan when uh, villa equalized i found myself fist pumping which is never a good sign is it but uh, you look at it now dan and just briefly um yeah i mean fulham have got seven games to go they with with goal difference they effectively need to win four of those just to catch saints now so we're like we're almost there you can kind of feel it yeah i, I think i think southampton are there i think they could even draw I, I, they could lose to west brom and i still don't think they'd go down uh, obviously a win would I think today kind of eased any fears of relegation. I think a win next week would put 
any kind of talk of relegation to bed. It would just would you just wouldn't talk about it. But because the key thing is, is will we are Fulham going to get ten points? I I don't know. I don't think so. I think today's probably took the wind out of their sails a little bit, and it might give Newcastle getting a draw against Tottenham a bit of motivation to to kick on and somehow pull themselves out of it when they look doomed before today. But yeah, this, I mean, hopefully we can. On Start the next pod, we yeah we don't have to think talk about relegation anymore. Hopefully, that's, yeah. that's, that's the main thing. It's too 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 doom and gloom for me. <laughs> Indeed. Well, looking at West Brom's recent home form, then Steve, forget the uh, the Chelsea result and things like that. Since uh, they lost to five nil to to Man City a couple of months back, their last five games at uh, the Hawthorns, they've won one, drawn three, and lost one. They only scored four, but they've only let in four. And I, I suppose that's the one thing that we know. Kind of Big Sam does uh, appear to have done with them is, it, you know, in general, I suppose home and away uh, the last few weeks, but particularly at home, is tight them up a little bit at the back and stop giving away so many goals so I, I suppose the question I was going to ask is bearing in mind Saints aren't the best defensively as well as we know um, you know it's uh, I think West Brom have got the worst defensive record in the Premier League with second so uh, second bottom so that's not great I mean do you see it being a tight affair or do you think it's going to be fairly open difficult to tell um, I mean while obviously Allardyce comes with a reputation of um, defence first and tighten everything up and get all that sorted first it's taken them a hell of a long time in this job to get that in any sort of sense of being organized or anything like their their home record in the first what four four or five games that he was in charge i think they they could see something absolutely mad like 20 or something was it 17 goals or something ridiculous and you just thought well I mean, this this is, this job is done. There's just no, there is no job for him to do here, really. But having having kind of, yeah, I mean, they've they've obviously gone ultra defensive from a um, when they're at home, which is which is an interesting tactic for a team that were that's been what 12 points adrift at one at, at some stage. But yeah, I mean, they they seem to they seem to at least have a have a game plan of sorts i mean i'm not sure not sure there was there was an awful lot in their game plan at chelsea yesterday other than targeting certain areas and and chelsea didn't um didn't at any stage uh, tighten themselves up after the red card so they were just left to get done by the same the same tactic over and over again which obviously those those of us who watched our game against spurs earlier in the season can can easily relate to that but i think as long as we don't fall into a similar trap then i yeah i don't see any reason why we can't go up there and and win and win relatively comfortably if we play like we did for i mean i guess the last hour of um of today yeah and i've got to be honest glenn i mean i I only managed to catch actually the second half of the chelsea west brom game yesterday but i thought they scored some uh, fantastic goals to be fair to them and uh, you know i appreciate chelsea were down to 10 men and steve said they were kind of chasing the game but you look at west brom's fixtures that are left now they've got um us obviously then they've got leicester away they've got villa away they're then into may when they're playing wolves at home, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, and then finally Leeds away. I mean, it's going to be tough for them to stay up given the position they are now. I mean, do you think they're they're dead and buried, or do you think that win's given them a chance? They've got more of a chance now than they had before they beat Chelsea, and that that's the sort of freak win that will that will give them hope. And but they will know that there's no point in beating Chelsea if you can't beat Southampton at home. So they will be going for a big style against us, I would say. It, it, as Steve said, it'd be very interesting to see how they approach the game because when they've played with anything other than defence first, 
they've um, they've tended to get hammered. So uh, I noticed they had a back. They usually play with a sort of almost like a flat back five. They've got a couple of useful players. Um, Pereira being the obvious one, um, who's going to need to be watched. He either plays off the right wing or or plays as a sort of conventional number ten almost. Now, Callum Robinson got a couple of goals yet um, against Chelsea, but he's he's always been. They're very, the only team he scores against. Yeah, yeah, yeah he scored five very, Premier League goals average. and they're all against Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. Got a good goalkeeper, obviously. Sam Johnston is um, is a good goalkeeper. So um, I, I kind of think that you know they'll cause us a few problems up front, but we should have too much up front for them. So yeah, I I, I mean I I kind of expect us to go and uh, if we if we put in a 90 minute performance, we'll um, we'll have we'll have too much for them, and hopefully it'll, hopefully the uh, Chelsea win will uh, will prove to be a freak result for them, and uh, this will uh, slap them back down again. Because I, I I quite fancy seeing Allardyce getting relegated. I think it would be quite amusing at the end of the day. Well, of course, he has his proud record of never having been uh, relegated from the Premier League, doesn't he? So, yeah, just just briefly on that, Glenn. I mean, the Ralph versus Big Sam tussle, battle, whatever you want to call it on the tactics. You, you're quite <laughs> looking forward to that. I mean, obviously, they're they're quite different, aren't they? I mean, in the, not, not just in terms of the sort of generation, but also just in terms of their approach. And, uh, you know, Sam Allardyce always comes across as a bit more of a a shouty, screamy, you know, proper man manager, whereas I suppose Ralph has that bit more of a, almost like an arm around the player type manager. Yeah, the, the contradiction with Allardyce is that he comes across as a very sort of like 1970s football manager, but then you hear all this stuff about him being the first manager to really embrace the, the analytics uh, and everything, yeah. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, but then the foot, you know, the football that his teams play is very, very basic and it is all based on percentages. So yeah, that is that is totally different to the way that um, to Ralph, that Ralph is. But I mean, both both managers have got a very strong belief that in in the way they do things. Uh, you know, Ralph certainly has that, and uh, and Allardyce has as well. I I still I still can't get my head around the whole England manager scenario thing without the dice. The fact that he got the job in the first place yeah. and the fact that he managed like to lose Mickey Bassett really, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Man- managed to get himself sacked after one game is, uh, is, is, is something that I will, all, I will always find amusing mm. and never quite understand how, mm. <laughs> how it all happened. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm look, look, looking forward to the game after, you know, especially after today's result. And, uh, yeah, I expect us to go and do well. Yeah. And one thing that always shoots us in the foot, Steve, I never learn with this, do I, is that, uh, our record at West Brom over the past few uh, seasons is pretty decent. We've, uh, won four and drawn one of our last six there in all competitions. So reasons to be optimistic there, other than the fact that I've just read that stat out. And as we know from Leeds the other week where they hadn't kept a clean sheet in about 12 years and, uh, we had a pretty decent record up there as well and we lost that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's odd because the Hawthorns was always a bit of a bit of a ropey ground for us for for ages, and then I can't even remember. I, th- I think it might even have been that draw. Adam Lallana um, scored. Yeah, when, yeah, I remember the one when, we when, were... when West Brom went up, and obviously that draw was ultimately fairly pivotal in us staying, staying up. up. That's right. In yeah. what 2008? Mm. Um, God, that feels like a lifetime ago. And yeah. yeah, but since since and since that game, I think we've won every time. Um, including including an FA Cup win. So yeah, I mean it's it's been a happy hunting ground. But then I guess it's reflected on on the fact that we've just been a better team in in that period. Um, and I mean yeah, I mean all all things being equal, there's no reason to think it it that won't continue this time around, um, barring us doing something stupid again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Just finally then, Dan, I suppose that's the key thing really, isn't it? Saints building on the, the momentum and the confidence they got from this Burnley game. And, you know, obviously we know West Brom's tails are going to be up after the Chelsea game, but you look at those two squads on paper and if Saints play to their potential, like we said down at Bournemouth the other week, then they should theoretically have too much for West Brom. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think the the squad we saw today minus Romeo is, is as strong as it gets. I, I think for Southampton, I'm trying to think if there's any more of long-term injuries but I, there obviously are long-term injuries but not to players who would really yeah, start small bone and players like that yeah yeah they're not going to be you know in the starting 11 so Romeo aside this is as strong as it gets for Southampton and Ralph in recent weeks and months has been saying that the light at the end of the tunnel is when these these players return and now they, they've returned they returned to the squad today and they, they made an impact so they should you know their tail should be up and if if it comes down to hard work and quality then you'd like to think a Hassan Hootel team will manage to, to beat West Brom um, on the on those two qualities so let, let's see but I think there's a, they've, they should have momentum I mean if momentum's not on their side after beating Bournemouth go, having an international break a couple of the players doing really well with, with their national teams coming back from 2-0 down to beat you know, a good team in Burnley a, a pragmatic team in Burnley then what is momentum? So, I, yeah, I, I fancy them to go on and win, to be honest. Uh, and I think, it, it, like you say, it just puts any kind of relegation talk to bed. And that's enough motivation for, for anyone. Yeah. And just finally then, Dan, I, I suppose that's the key for Ralph probably this week as well, making sure that all the attention for the players, um, you know, and, and giving 100% on the pitch as well, that they can't go out there half-hearted thinking, well, I don't want to get injured for Wembley and things like that. You know, it's just full attention on West Brom and making sure as professionals that, that that's their number one objective at the moment. Yeah, I think that's going to be his hope. But I think it's... It's natural for a player to have one eye on Wembley. I, I think it will be, they're going to say all the right things. They're going to, you know, if a player's interviewed before the West Brom game, they're not going to get drawn on the semi-final. It'll be very much, no, we need to beat West Brom first and then we can start thinking about that. But come on, a lot of these players dream of turning out an FA Cup final and they're, they're one game away from doing that. So it's, I'm sure even Ralph's got his mind on the FA Cup semi-final. I'm sure he'll tell you he hasn't, but he most definitely has. But that, as you say, the important business is they beat West Brom. That will be their main focus. But they're gonna, of course, they're gonna have one eye on the FA Cup semi-final, as all the supporters do. I mean, they're only human after all, aren't they? So Indeed. The fact I asked that question says a lot, doesn't it? But uh, there we go. Right, let's do some uh, match predictions, albeit uh, still quite a, a while away until the game and uh, lots of training sessions where things can go uh, right and wrong and things like that for both sides of the fence. But... Uh, Let's start with you, Glenn. Uh, offline, you went for Saints to beat Burnley 1-0, so you got a point for that, so a, a good step in the right direction. So building on that momentum yourself, what are you going for? Hang for? on, we got, we got some controversy over the uh, Burnley game, haven't Why is we? That? Cause, well, because Mr Sheldon didn't well, no, that's, get his so he's not, he's not void, so he didn't... Yeah, didn't is he voided? Yeah, yeah. He didn't I, didn't get the, I didn't see the message, though. Yeah. So sending send a message through three hours after the game that you're going for Saints 3, Burnley 2 doesn't count, Dan. But it, look, I would... <laughs> hand on heart I would have said 3-1 but it's okay well, it's I too mean, late it's I'm null and void ha- it's null and void sorry I, I gave I you mean, to 11.59 right. sorry about that so uh, there we go right come come on Glenn back to it oh, well, well, oh, I don't yeah, care West if he's Brom. a guest he's not getting any special rules alright so. absolutely um, <laughs> West Brom 1 Saints 2 2-1 win brilliant alright come on then Dan here's a chance to actually get something on record uh, 3-1 Southampton 3-1 Southampton Steve uh, 2-0 Saints 2-0 Saints excellent alright and I, I think there's a very good chance that we can go up there and uh, get a win on build on this momentum so I'm going for the Baggies to win 1-0 
You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode of TSP. Hopefully it's felt like life is back to some sense of normality for you. We'll be back after the West Brom game, so during week commencing the 12th rather than next Sunday, Monday. So we'll wait for the West Brom game to happen and then we'll aim to record a pod to uh, preview the Wembley game and review the game at West Brom. So look out for that midweek during uh, week commencing the 12th of April. In that pod, as I say, we'll uh, also have an opposition preview of the semi-final. We're going to be checking in with Jamie from Leicester Fan TV. I know he's a big fan of Glenn and uh, Glenn, I think you're going on their show next week before the uh, the game as well if they uh, can sort out dates and everything. Is that right? Yeah, I am. I've got to um, dress in my best uh, Ralph Hasenhurtle gear. That's it. Last um, time you were there, I thought you were Ralph Hasenhurtle, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it was all over the comments. Um, how did you get the Saints manager on it? Yeah, right, whatever. Um, I, as I'm at haircut for three months, or probably even longer, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not quite styling it out as much as I was back then. So I might have to, might have to buy the Saints baseball cap and uh, and go for that look. Because um, I've got a horrible feeling it's one of these visual ones, and I've got a face for radio, as you know. So um, yeah. yeah. There we go. Well, no, Jamie was very kind and said he'd come on the pod as well, so you can look out for that uh, preview of his views on Leicester in our uh, next pod as well. Until then, have a good week. Let's enjoy a rare and beautiful St Mary's home win. Enjoy whatever you're up to. Have a good rest of Easter holidays if uh, you're celebrating those, and keep marching in. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.